Despite all the king's horses and all the king's men, what major government program may never be put together again? You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Thomas Saving. Dr. Saving is the University Distinguished Professor of Economics and Director of the Private Enterprise Research Center, both at the Texas A&M University. Dr. Saving has been a trustee of the Social Security and the Medicare Trust Fund since the year 2000. He is co-author of the book, The Diagnosis and Treatment of Medicare. If your answer to my question was Medicare, as they say in Chicago, you can put it on the boards, because today we're discussing Medicare's unfunded liability and how we can keep Medicare solvent. Welcome, Dr. Saving. It's great to have you joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable. Well, it's great to be here. Well, how big is this liability, and what projections have you and the trust fund made for the future? We can have simple kind of numbers that say, what's the long-run obligation of the system? The trustees are estimating it at like $86 trillion. And if you use CBO's estimates, they would say $122 trillion. And that's in my lifetime? Yeah, in your lifetime. This is the amount of money that if you set aside today, now, you have to remember the whole gross domestic product is only $13 trillion. If you set all that aside today, then you could actually pay for what is being forecast to happen to health care in this country as we go forward. And the problem is the costs of health care are rising much more rapidly. And it's not just cost. It's the amount of it that we're consuming more rapidly than the economy as a whole which is perfectly okay. There's nothing wrong with that because that may be true for computers or other things, too, that people are choosing to do on their own. But here they're not paying for it. I mean, I did a simple calculation, took the population of America and the $3 trillion health care budget and came out to about $7,000 an individual. I'm currently paying about $12,000. So in my mind, $7,000 is a pretty good deal. Is there something wrong with that idea? No, there's nothing wrong with the idea. But where it's going to go is going to be as a share of budget. A CBO would be projecting that in 75 years, half of the gross domestic product of this country is going to be in the healthcare industry. That's going to be paid for by taxation or something else. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And of course, whether it's paid for by taxation or something else will actually impact on what that number is going to be. Can taxation handle the burden? Well, I think the taxation can handle it if we're willing to go on to have the increase in taxes that it would take to do that. What would you project that to be? In the order of 60% increases in total taxation. They would be payroll taxes of 50%, and they would be just general increases in taxation that are significant, something like 137% increase in taxation over the 75 years. And imagine that as you're taxing this much more, that individuals are not going to work as hard, they won't have incentives, and the whole issue is going to become untenable. The issue is not just the United States issue. Even though we like to go over and we like to say how wonderful things are in Canada or how wonderful they are in Europe because they're consuming less of their gross domestic product in health care than we are, the issues are the future of health care in Every developed country in the world is dramatically affected by the demographics. That is, the share of the population that are elderly, that aren't working and are consuming health care, is going to be rising from current levels of 20% or so to 40% of the population, or in, in some cases in Japan, 50% of the population. You'll have one worker for every person who's retired and consuming health care. Are there any new sources of revenue that economists are looking at? There are no other sources other than taxation or making the elderly pay for 
more of what they consume. And most reform suggestions are exactly that. They are benefit reductions. Benefit cuts. Sometimes when people ask, well, how does reform work? How are these reform work? Okay. Can you say benefit cut? Because that's where it's got to come from. Somehow we have to cut benefits. Does that mean less health care? Or does it just mean who pays for it? That's the important question. For you physicians, it's the important question. Are we going to actually have you deliver less health care? Or are we just going to make a different way that we're going to pay for health care? Isn't there waste in the system that we could at least get back some of the costs? I mean, today the United Press reported a hospital in Missouri has to pay back $60 million. Now, I know compared to $32 trillion, it's not a lot of money. But that's a huge number of vaccines against influenza. That's a lot that can be done. Isn't it time that we get the waste and the fraud out of the system? There's no doubt that there's waste and fraud in every system that you have. Walmart stores have waste and fraud. Medicine has waste and fraud. The real issue is, what does it cost you to discover it? And in the year 2001, I think it was, the General Service Administration of the government went after upcoding, where physicians were coding one thing and actually delivering something else. And the next year, Medicare expenditures were lower than we expected and everything else. And my point to them was, first, this cost a lot of money to do that. And physicians were much more cautious the next year. All that went away. The question I would always have for everyone, why is it here we had the government looking over your shoulder to see what you were doing? Why do you think that was necessary? Why didn't the customer look over your shoulder? Because they weren't paying for it. In the grocery store, we don't need any government people sitting at the checkout counter checking to make sure whether the people are charging you too much. Why don't we need that? Because you're doing it. And if the customer was paying and you tried to charge them, say, for a pneumonia shot instead of an influenza shot, they would say, wait a minute, Bill, this is not what you gave me. That's what we have to have. If the customers don't care, we're going to have fraud. And then we have to have this enforcement procedure, which may not even pay for itself. So we're not going to be able to solve this problem by going around and eliminating waste. We're not going to find the healthcare place, say the Mayo Clinic, which you're aware a lot of people have said, if everyone went to the Mayo Clinic, healthcare costs would be lower. And I said, first, why, if it's so inefficient, why would you run a clinic in which you were doing things inefficiently if you could make more money by doing it efficiently? Well, in the current payment system, you don't make any more money by doing it efficiently. And that's because the people don't care what it costs. And the other issue with Mayo is they do an awful lot of cash business because the Canadians whose wonderful healthcare system we like to talk about, they come to the mail to get care. And right. that's true of all of the border clinics. Yeah. The Cleveland Clinic, you've got the Mayo, all of those people have a huge amount of cash business. And I think that affects how efficient they are. Hope they're paying taxes on that cash business. <laughs> well, I, you know, that's another question of whether they're <laughs> tax exempt or not. Yeah. <laughs> You're not, right? No. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> but I think Mayo probably is. Yeah. I'd like to just pause to welcome those who are just joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I'm having just a wonderful time today discussing Medicare, how we can continue to pay for it, what can be done to control the costs with Dr. Thomas Saving, the Distinguished Professor of Economics and Director of the Private Enterprise Research Center at Texas A&M University. I've got a thought because you said people need to care about it. Why don't we allow balanced billing? 
then you can have some real negotiation because Dr. A can say, I'm going to balance bill you 100%. Dr. B says, I'm only going to ask for 50%. And Dr. C says, I'll take whatever Medicare will pay me. And I think that's the same problem in the managed care companies as well. People walk into my office, it's a $20 copay. They don't care about anything else. They don't even appreciate the discounts that they're getting. And if I could balance bill them, you know, I'd be in a competitive market with other doctors who can make their own decisions on what percentage they're going to collect back. And then people are really going to have to start thinking about their health care decisions. I think that's exactly right. And one way of reforming is to make individuals pay a lot more of their own health care, even if what you do is gave them the money. And I had a, an experience here during this, the last recession. The health and human services people in Texas called me. I had done some work for them, helped them on some things. And they said, what are we going to do with the Medicaid patients who, when they have a cold, they go to the ER and we get to pay all this Medicaid. And I said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to charge them for it. That's the way to do this. And they said, well, where will we get the money? And I said, we'll give it to them. At the beginning of the year, we'll give them 80% in a health savings account of what they're spending. And I said, trust me, when they have a cold, they're not going to call 911 and get an ambulance to take them to ER. They're going to get a neighbor to take them to a little clinic somewhere. And they won't spend anywhere near the amount of money that's spending now. And the other issue is the ER prices are all fiction. Oh, right. If you come in for a cold, Medicaid is going to pay the full cost of running the ER, even though if this were operated as a private business. And if you had a cold, they would make you wait for all the trauma patients. And if the docs are sitting around playing cards part of the time, they could take care of the people with a cold. And they might very well do it more efficiently and cheaper than a little clinic in Walmart does it. We don't know that because none of these prices mean anything. But if they actually meant something, if they were real prices, then we would discover how to do it efficiently. And medicine would look a lot different. And a lot of people, perhaps you, would be a lot happier with that world than the one you're in. Could you get a grant to study that? It, it seems like you'd be the perfect, you know, you're in the right place, you're at a university, you have graduate students, you have a medical center. How could you not have a pilot project to prove this? It's so logical. Well, I think there are some number of projects sort of out there. I, I think what's happening is the, we're freeing up some of this market, and that is these little Walmart clinics and things that are becoming more popular. And they're not only in Walmart, I'm bringing that because I know some of them are there. And I think some of those started in Minnesota. I'm not sure. I think they started there where Mayo is also, obviously, in Minnesota. But I think those are the kind of things that we see happening. And we're asking, the question you're really asking is, how can we expand that? How can we give people the option of going outside the system? But they have to have an incentive to do that. If we give them health savings accounts, then they will have an incentive to go outside the system. No, that's what I was asking. Couldn't you get a grant from someone to set up a pilot project with people that, you know, this group of 1,000 are going to get a health savings account that's funded by the Gates Foundation or something? As a matter of fact, there have been such studies done, and they do show significant reductions. Now, most of them are too small to get at a significant supply side effect, and that's an effect that you discussed earlier, where the physicians and the healthcare providers are competing for these dollars. Because if the system is small, you won't get any of that effect. All you'll get is the effect that demanders are going to shop. And shopping matters, because if you're paying for your own MRI, and you're in a city with more than one, and you go, you'll find that the prices are different. You'll be able to find the cheapest MRI. As you pointed out, if you only have a fixed copay, then you won't bother to shop at all. And as a matter of fact, there'll be a different price. I remember once in my, I think my wife was getting some kind of a sonogram thing, and a 
can't remember exactly what that was. It may have been because of a gallbladder or something. And the hospital said, well, if you pay for this, it's $220. If we're billing your insurance company, it's 520 And I thought, wait a minute. <laughs> and, and therein is the problem. Well, there's a new thought on which we can end today's discussion. I'd like to thank Dr. Thomas Saving for being my guest, and we've been discussing how to pay for Medicare's unfunded liability. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I invite you to listen to our on-demand library at ReachMD.com. Register with promo code radio and receive six months of free streaming audio. Please call us at 888-MD-XM-157 with your comments or suggestions. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I wish you good day and good health.